You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 188. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Great to be with you. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take viewer questions on three individual stocks. The first, Neo Performance Materials, symbol NEO on the TSX, which manufactures and sells rare earth magnetic powders, magnetics, and rare metals-based functional materials in Canada and internationally. After a strong end to 2021, Neo is down 53% in 2022, and a listener asks us if the drop is an opportunity, noting the stock pays a 4% dividend as an, as an, and is exposed to some high growth sectors. The second company, Powerband Solutions, symbol PBX on the TSX Venture, is a microcap we have twice answered questions on in the past, each time warning listeners against high valuations on the stock as it was in the 60 plus cent range at that time. Today with the stock cratering to 10 cents, we answer another listener question on Powerband, which states it has a comprehensive e-commerce solution transforming the online experience to sell, trade, lease, and finance vehicles. Brett will let you know how the company is progressing. Our third Your Stock Our Take this week is on Shopify Inc, symbol SHOP, S-H-O-P on the TSX. The Canadian-based e-commerce infrastructure provider. A listener notes that the stock has cratered year-to-date down 72% despite continued revenue growth and asks our take on the fundamental valuations of shop at present. Aaron will give you his take. Finally, in our stars and dogs segment, Brennan, his star this week is StarX International, symbol STX on the CSE, which is up 21% in the last week and about 61% in the last month. He will let you know what the company that provides real estate appraisal and credit reporting services to the mortgage lender and brokers in the US, why it is performing so well in the current market conditions. His dog of the week is BitFarm Limited, symbol BITF on the TSX, down 7% in the last week. in the last month, and over 91% in the last year. BitFarm is a global Bitcoin self-mining company running vertically integrated mining operations. He will let you know what has gone on that segment. I think it has something to do with uh, some weakness in cryptocurrencies, potentially. We'll get into that. I welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and the Killer Breeze, Brennan and Brett. How are you guys doing? Gentlemen, doing well. well. I'm a little sad. As I'm a little sad, while Canada scored a goal at the World Cup of soccer or football, we might say, um, we weren't just happy to be there. We would have liked to have won uh, one of our first two games. So Canada has been eliminated. Uh, I'm making that announcement. I'm sure no nobody surprise, has heard this. No surprise. Yeah. But, it <laughs> but, seems, but, but I've been following it closely, but it seems like there have been some upsets. So 
too bad. Yeah, Canada outplayed outplayed um, Belgium, the number two ranked team in the world, mm-hmm. uh, substantially in the first game. And uh, one only wonders if we could have scored on that penalty kick to start, uh, how that would have kicked off our World Cup. But uh, it is only soccer, though, so we can't get that sad. I better not say that. <laughs> yeah, you Ryan's not. depressed. Soccer uh, is truly his favorite sport, although he does refer to it as football. Mm. I, I, I was for like three, four years coaching my daughter's soccer team. That was actually super fun. That was awesome. But uh, hockey would be my sport. But uh, yeah, the Canucks we don't just roll beat around the on the ground. Yeah, I've got the game yeah. on tape downstairs, Brennan. I can't believe you told me that right now. <laughs> That's, don't lie. I'm just that kidding. Game was All right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the Canucks uh, have won a few games, which is what we do around this time of year after we're basically <laughs> out of it already at game 20. Then we go on a streak. Don't get yep. me started on that. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So do we want to touch on some items in the news? Uh, we saw that uh, there was an on? article out there. Two thirds of Americans, 67%. That's two thirds, Brandon, for your, for your, <laughs> Thank um, you. just for Quick your mouth. information are, are worried about inflation um, or, or sorry, we're, we're, are worried about inflation, but they're still spending essentially, right? They're still going mm-hmm. into this black Friday, the cyber Monday. And they're still looking to spend. Um, I get your thoughts on that. Mine are that there may be some people that are in denial here. Uh, like, I mean, anecdotally, just over the past week, I've heard two people, my neighbor, uh, two people who did not lock in uh, when rates were low, which, you know, to me, crazy, but um, who have seen, for example, I was just talking, I'm not going to name, hopefully they're not listening, but uh you know, saw their interest rate payment over the last several months go from twenty eight hundred to forty two hundred. So fourteen hundred dollars they've got to come up with extra because they did not lock in at any point. Uh, my, I was at a family dinner the other night. Similar type story. Um, not from my side of the family, I'll say, from uh, Canis's side. So <laughs> that could explain a lot, but not locking in. But anyways, no, I mean, I in those cases, but still. Going, you know, I know the people still spending crazy on Christmas again in both cases. Um, you know, you know, a bit in denial there. I think maybe we got through a period, even through a pandemic, where people just kept getting handed out money, handed out money. You're just used to spending. Either you'll get bailed out, or um, I'm not sure. But I, I mean, I think there should be more of a pullback in spending, and I think we will see that at some. I, I, I think we must. We're, we're going to have to see we that at some to. point, yeah. just where interest rates go. I mean, you're talking about mortgages. People are paying more mm-hmm. on the mortgage. Maybe it's they not just in, mortgages, maybe they though. didn't. But if, yeah, it's it's your car loan, right? It's yeah, it's your exactly. it's your uh, line of credit, your your credit card. It's mm-hmm. it's basically everything. So it's it's anybody who has been using debt as even a yeah. portion of their funding for their consumer spending is gonna is gonna feel the pinch. But then on the flip side of that, you know the employment market continues to be strong, right? Wages continue yeah. to be strong. I mean, especially if you're in certain industries, you're in the service industry, if you're in, if, if you're in a trade, um, you know, there's a lot of areas where people are making huge amounts of money right now. Now, is that going to start to pull back? You, you would expect so. I mean, that's what, that's what the intention of all these rate hikes is, is, is for the economy to start to slow down, which is going to slow inf- inflation down. But uh, people have a lot of money right now. And, you know, I guess they're, they're not, Shy. Some of them are shy it's, about spending it. For me, it's the self-inflicted wounds. Like, I mean, we're all facing inflation at the grocery store, right? Like, we're all seeing mm-hmm. that. But like the self-inflicted wound of not locking in 
at some well, point I mean, you, you can't, during this. But, but, but it, it, like nobody can predict the future, right? I mean, if you're sitting there, yeah, you, you think, I mean, right now, if somebody's on a variable, should they lock in at this rate, right? I mean, no, but I'm talking argument. about over the past 18 months, two years, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the, the biggest fail that a lot of consumers made is not necessarily that they didn't predict where rates were going to go. It's that while rates were low, they weren't using that excess money to reduce their debt. They were doing the opposite. They were saying like, oh, rates are so low, it's stupid not to increase debt or use debt more because you're paying so little on it. That's actually, if you're, if you're, you know, if you want to be responsible spender, responsible saver, that's your opportunity to take, (laughs) (laughs) perhaps lost on on, on most. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, that's your opportunity to, to try and reduce your debt, to try and pay down your mortgage quickly and accelerate that. Very few people were doing that. So. Um, if rates stay up where they are here for longer, if for, for an extended period of time, or if we continue to see them increase, then eventually people are going to are going to feel the pinch. Yeah, um, there was another headline too that came out on Saturday, just saying Black Friday online sales top nine billion in a new record. Um, <clears throat> they said here consumers spent a record nine point one two billion online shopping during Black Friday this year, according to Adobe. Overall online sales for Black Friday were up about 2.3% year over year. And a little bit scary is buy now, pay later payments increased by 78% compared mm. uh, with the past week beginning November 19th. As consumers Those are the people in denial. With high right? prices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, I don't know if you want to be doing that. Um, I will say though, Luckily for us in Saskatchewan, um, Scott Moe gave a $500 relief check to uh, all Saskatchewan residents. So, And I'm that aware. just went straight to Black Friday or it's Cyber Monday. It. Yeah, and I, I, heard similar, I heard similar yeah. news yeah. coming from Alberta and, and they call this yeah. inflation fighting. But really yeah. what you're doing is you're injecting more money exactly. into the system yeah. for people Yay. to spend. So it's not going to fight inflation. It, it will, if anything make it worse in the short term i wonder yeah. if there's any vote buying going on probably oh i, I, why, I, I would wonder I think that way why would i think yeah mm. i don't know right? about that well, well, i'm sure so, these so you're people... saying there might be an election in five months here <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man okay well there the other one other thing that caught my eye i don't know i think it's just curious amazon is planning to invest a billion a year in like physical movie theaters so um, you know, where many, you know, you've seen all the, the, the growth of the streaming services and companies taking movies directly to uh, online to stream them. Um, you know, Amazon believes uh, that, you know, you need that initial release in a theater, it looks like, or they're, you know, the, I mean, it, it, it just it just seems it, it's curious that they're bucking the trend and going into a physical, uh, a yep. physical location versus just uh producing the content and going straight to video or it's not video streaming straight you to know, on different the beta topic of it, it is. And, yeah. and everybody loves to, to sit in a theater um, now and then, although I, I do it much less now than I did in the mm-hmm. past with streaming. Um, one thing that Amazon has had a reputation of in the past is doing a lot of things that don't make money um, and being able to do that just because they're Amazon. Funding it with their with their elevated stock price, which is we not so can, elevated yeah. right now, right um, now. The real real profitable business of Amazon is actually not Amazon.com 
or any of the other things that or many of the other things that they've invested in the real profit profit center of wow. Amazon, the company is their cloud computing business, right? And, and, and there's many that think that that should be separated from the other segments of the business. And it would be worth a lot more unlikely that that's going to happen. But I think so the I don't theaters know if are is... really going to help with that. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, you'd think the complimentary thing is they already have their prime video, so they could be yeah. mm-hmm. just wanting to get that extra margin off of their actual. So like their, Prime exclusives, I think, is what they call it. Yeah. So if they're if they're doing those, just and then they'll have the whatever licensing from external parties. Yeah, I wonder if Prime yeah, it does members make a bit will of get sense. a discount if they'll get a discount to go there, or if you'll get some kind of a offer to go to the theater. I mean, I don't mind still going to a theater, and but you know, it, it's I love it's it. Lesser. It's just it's yeah. it's it's less mm-hmm. convenient. It's more expensive. Sometimes yeah. it's nice just to make the popcorn in your the own. Popcorn's house. twelve bucks for a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Oh, what can you do? Okay. Well, we should we should move to the. Did we have any more stories we want to discuss, or do we want to? Just no, get I think to that's. The yeah, let's, we got a couple companies here, so let's. Uh, let's yeah, we got a ton of companies to go through this week. A lot of questions. Stop sending your questions in. We're, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keep sending your questions in. We're getting more and more, which is good to hear. So I'm going to do a your stock, our take on. Um, uh, Neo Performance Materials Inc. symbol N E O on the TSX trades at around nine dollars thirty two cents, four hundred twenty two million dollar market cap. Its yield or dividend is just over four percent. What does the company do? They manufacture advanced industrial materials, magnetic powders, and magnetic specialty chemicals, metals, and alloys. Uh, Neo supplies these products to the automotive, res- residential, appliance, media storage industries. The company has manufacturing in 10 countries and one research facility in Singapore. Now, the stock is down 53% year to date. Why? Well, the Q3 results swung to an unexpected loss. Q3 revenues increased 22% to $146.6 million, but operating income was down 82.2% to $2.2 million, and they had an adjusted net loss of $1.9 million, or $0.04 cents per share. Now, Neil has benefited from the lead lag impact in a rising pricing environment. It bought inventories at lower prices, then was able to sell them at higher prices. Uh, prices have declined 30 to 40% from their peaks. And as a result, the company is now selling its higher priced inventory and at, at these prices. And Neo's EBITDA dropped substantially in this past quarter. So there's some news out from the company recently on August 22nd, Hudson Resources and NEO announced that they have executed a binding agreement where NEO will acquire Hudson and an exploration license covering the Seraf Talk Carbonatite, Carbonatite, say that three times fast, complex in Southwest Greenland. The project hosts a mineral deposit that is enriched in neodymium and uh, prosodium, I think, something like that. Two essential elements, essentially, for rare earth permanent magnets. Now, NEO is also pursuing plans to break ground on a Greenfields rare earth permanent magnet manufacturing plant in Estonia that is intended to provide European manufacturers with permanent magnets needed for electric and hybrid vehicles, wind turbines, and energy-saving electric motors and pumps. So the Serafac Talk project is a key element to Neo's 
magnets to mines, vertically integrated strategy. So the recent announcements, they may be long-term positives for the business, but they make a fundamental shift to a vertically integrated business from just a manufacturer of rare earths to a producer with multiple plants in multiple geographies. This adds an element of risk in terms of execution and financing for these ambitious, ambitious projects, which just wasn't there in the past. So our conclusion, at present, based on 2023 estimates, which factor in a normalization of pricing, the company trades at around 3.5 times EV to EBITDA, which is a discount to rare earth producers. Although, again, NEO has not graduated to being a producer. They're still just a manufacturer. They are looking to become a producer. But the producers traded about 13 times. It's also Neo, it's below NEO's long-term historical average multiple of around six. So it's just a little more than half. If one believes in the plan and is looking to hold for two to five years, perhaps it's an option in this space. But again, execution risk has increased significantly as the company has this ambitious plan to vertically integrate. The next quarter will likely face a similar pricing environment as we saw in the last quarter, uh, which will look at, you'll see weaker profitability year over year. As such, we plan to just monitor the stock at present and are not looking to buy. But it is a company that we do have do monitor closely and see some potential value in over the long term. At these prices, though, we're not buying. No, and 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 there's there's a couple other companies that we're looking at in the rarer space as well. Uh, Brett and I have been doing some research on a company called MP Materials. They're kind of taking the opposite direction. They're starting as a producer and then they're going into mm -hmm. production. Um, but really, I mean, when we look at it's at the renewable energy trend, the electric vehicle trend. Um, sorry, producer, and then they're going into um, uh, processing yeah, the opposite, and basically, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, being a being a fully integrated rare earth company. Um, but really, I mean, when we look at the when we look at at a lot of trends that are expected to transform society going forward, like renewable energy, electric vehicles, they all all depend on rare earths. Uh, China essentially owns that market, and so we're seeing a lot of companies trying to trying to diversify. Um, globally in order to in order to you know be less dependent on China and we're also seeing governments invest money in helping companies do that because it becomes a national security issue and I think that covid covid really highlighted that right I mean when things shut down when things get tough countries start looking out for themselves so if you're dependent on another country for um, you know critical critical imports um, that's something that that a lot of countries now are are reassessing yeah, it's certainly a sector we'd like to have participation in and are looking there, just looking to find value. And it, I mean, we do see significant volatility in these companies because often they're driven by the prices of these underlying rare earths, which have been very volatile. So you're going to you're going to have that as a natural part of the business. But if we could find a good company with a good balance sheet, which is important, uh, that we think has good relative valuations on a normalized basis, it would be a sector that we are looking to participate in and may have a recommendation there uh, over the next year. We hope so. Yeah. So let's get to a company that we have, Brett, you've got this one. We A company we've talked about. I think Brennan reviewed them twice. Yep. Maybe he'll mm -hmm. have some comments if he can remember at least that he uh, <laughs> did them. It's Power Band Solutions, Inc. Uh, we'll let you take that one, Brett, and then we'll comment after. All right. 
Powerband Solutions Inc., symbol PBX on the TSX Venture, is a technology provider that is developing solutions for automotive and other industries that drive efficiency and transparency in the marketplace. Its driver solution is a multi-dimensional marketplace platform which provides consumers and dealers with streamlined buying and selling solutions. The stock has had an extremely poor performance over the past year, trading for only for up to $1, now to the 10 cent range. The collapse can be attributed to a few factors. The first factor is just a massive dilution of its shares. The company had an outstanding of 137 million shares at the end of 2020, and by the end of 2021, so last year, it had a whopping 198 million shares, a 44% increase. But that's not the end of it. This year hasn't even come to an end, and it now has 297 million shares outstanding. That's a 50% increase in 11 months. That's just huge. The share dilution alone, even if nothing else changes in the company, creates massive downward pressure on the stock. But there's a lot more to this story. The need for cash is what is has been what drives the dilution and why they've been issuing so many shares. Over the first half of 2022, the company has used $5.2 million just for its operating activities. Operating activities are just generally what the company needs to do to keep the current operations running at those levels. And it will include some other stuff, but that's the general idea of it. During the same period, the company has issued $18 million in the share in shares, leading to the final cash balance of $18 million. But since the quarter year has ended, they've issued even more shares, which has raised $5.2 million. So you'll see their current cash balance, which they do report in a few days, will be somewhere between that $18 million and $23 million, depending on exactly how much they've spent in the last quarter. Being cash negative isn't that exactly uncommon for these young companies that they're trying to build some technology platform. It's pretty common. But on the other hand, you would expect them to have high revenue growth, which isn't the case for PowerBand. They were growing up until Q3 last year, but over the past few quarters, revenue has just collapsed to a fraction of what it was. At the end of Q3 2021, it had $9.2 million in revenue, and for the last quarter, Q2 2022, only $4.1 million, which is under half of what it was. A significant reason why is there's just been overall shrinkage in the market. The used vehicle market has fallen by roughly 16% in sales over the past year in the U.S. Before this dramatic fall in sales, the entire market was seeing high demand, extremely high demand if you're trying to buy a vehicle during the last year and a half of COVID. Before this period, you were paying a massive, massive premium even for used vehicles like this. But now that's really come off. You're seeing still heightened demand and a bit tighter supply, but not anything near what we were seeing in the 2020-2021 period. So it's it's just a, not a weak market, but it's not exactly a strong market like you were seeing before. There is some hope to the company. I don't know if Brennan's ever seen this poster. He's probably not aware of the entire Star Wars series. No. It, he, he doesn't ever watch any movies. But there is some hope for the company. They did elect a new board in May of this year, and they've started to change some fundamental drivers in the company. They've suspended their driver's lane segment, 
and they're only supporting the ma- maintaining the driver's exchange segment to focus all his capital on driver's financial, which is their leasing and financing segment. The new management believes the driver's financial segment has the highest near and medium term return. So that is good because they're actually trying to drive some sort of profitability. So with this company, that's what you need to look for going forward. You need to watch the cash flows and if they're becoming even profitable. Because if they can't do either of those, you might as well be running away at this point. There is no point in staying in this company if they do not become near profitable and they keep having these negative cash flows. So I'm not waiting for this to become profitable. I would not honestly expect it to be because they have about a two-year year cash run rate at their current cash flow rate. But it's it's not going to happen most likely. If it does, I would happily be wrong and people can make some money. But it's very, very risky in their current form. So I'm staying away. And that's our take. Yeah, I'm I'm predicting that Brett gets blasted. Oh, most likely. This. Yeah, because I, I <laughs> notice it's always the worst companies that, that people get the most sensitive about when we say that we don't like them. Wouldn't you agree, Brennan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brennan, Brennan's taking the most flack, right? Yep. I remember we, Ryan and I talked about this. It was a marijuana company that bought some ghost town in the U.S. This was like five years ago on our podcast. This was before it went to YouTube. And the thing was trading at a fraction of a cent. All that it had ever done was destroy was destroy capital. Uh, we said we didn't like it, and it just you know it it was. I mean, it for, for for our videos it went viral, or for our podcast it went viral. People were were angry to say the least. So I'm going to say that it's probably a good indicator if you get a lot of flack for saying you don't like a company that uh, that that just supports your original. Yeah. Original yeah, for sure. I mean, the company. power band, like when we originally talked about it, you know, the, I think it was reporting gross revenues, right, Brennan? Correct. And, and yeah. Like, so they were know, reporting or go, yeah. On, go on. Yeah. They're reporting gross revenues, which we thought was, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good metric to do, to use because, you know, the lay investor thinks you're talking about actual revenues, right. And they were taking a small percentage, but I mean, I think the key point that, brett had here on the company essentially was um there's not a ton of revenue growth in the last quarter at all uh if it had tons of revenue growth and was you know raising money because it was putting all its money and investing this platform that you know maybe you could say it has some speculative value the fact that revenues declined in the last quarter uh and you know the last three actually yeah 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 and you see that it's significant over time and you see the company um you know, continuing to lose money, continuing to have to raise the share count. Um, they've they've screwed up the 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 uh, balance sheet of this. Not not necessarily the balance sheet, the share structure of the business at this point. There is going to have to be a rollback at some point. You would you would think the way it's looking right now. And and you know, it's it, the the share offerings are dilutive. I, you know, I I just for us. You know, it just, these are the type of stories that are, it, this was heavily promoted. And we said, you know, in the 60 plus range that they were banking or they were talking about gross revenues. Don't get fooled into thinking those are the actual revenues of the business. Now they've had revenue growth, but again, now that's stopping. And you know, that could have been 
uh, a bit of a COVID boost in that time, really a bit of period when that, that industry was doing well. Anyways, Brennan, did yeah. you have anything else? Yeah, I was just going to say when I covered the stock, it was trading at about 40 times price to sales. And yeah, that was the biggest red flag, like Ryan was saying, is the company was talking, they made a press release and they were talking about gross sales year to date of 26.3 million and they had 12, to clarify it, right? Yeah, they had to literally management had to come out and clarify. They were like, no, okay, we actually only did, you know, 2.1 million in trailing revenue. This gross sales is just the gross amount of vehicle sales. We're only taking a little piece of this. So, you know, I can understand that maybe that is a key performance indicator, but I don't think that you need to be explaining that to the market, you know, um, in my opinion, or, you know, highlighting gross sales, in my opinion. The fact I, that I they know, had just, to explain it means it was misunderstood. Exactly. Right? That's, that's exactly. Thing, so. That's not a good thing for management. Anyways, yeah. that's all I had to say. Yeah. And they just keep losing money, too. I mean, we need to see yeah. at some <laughs> point cash flow and now revenues have declined. And you know, so it, for us, yeah. it doesn't meet our initial criteria. Okay, now let's go on to a larger company, significantly larger, Shopify Inc. Aaron, the e-commerce giant from Canada, um, mm -hmm, precipitous mm -hmm. loss in share value year to date, seventy-two plus percent. Uh, we had a listener ask, you know, with the drop, what do you want me to read out the question, or do you want to do it? Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, read out the question. Yeah, right say so I'm thinking about taking a position in Shopify. The stock is down tremendously over the past year, in spite of continued revenue growth. What is your take on this company? Is it likely to recover? And does it represent good value at current price, Rob? Right. So, Rob, thanks for the question. Happy to answer it. We we get questions on Shopify all the time. Um, is it likely to recover? You know, that's difficult to say. That really just depends on what happens with the market. Does it represent good value right now? The answer to that, I would say, is no, certainly not. So Shopify is has been an incredible Canadian success story. Um, what they are, they're an e-commerce business. They have an e-commerce platform that they provide to small and medium-sized businesses who are their customers. They have millions of these businesses uh, throughout the world in over in 175 companies that use their service. And it's about a $65 billion market cap right now, currently, after the after the decline, as Ryan said, down about 75%. Um, but really, Shopify has been, I mean, it's 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 been in the past, the number one company in all of Canada. In the Canadian market, 65 billion even is an absolutely is, is quite a large market cap. But you know, Shopify being categorized in the technology sector, I'd always said in the past, the Canadian technology sector is just way too underdeveloped, at least in the public markets. Um, typically, when I would take a look and compare it to the size of other sectors, it'd be about 5%. One day, you know, one time I go and I look and, and the technology sector in Canada is up at, you know, 10 to 15, 12 to 15%. Um, but then I realized that most of that was just one company. So it completely dwarfed the rest of the technology sector at its peak. It was the largest company in Canada, I believe by market cap, larger than any of the banks. Now down 75%. Um, still a large company, but um, you know, almost becoming a, a shadow of its former self, just in terms of its overall importance compared to some of the big banks like RBC and, and TD. It, what happened? Well, in, in many ways, Shopify really just is, is, is 
suffering from the same issues that a lot of technology companies are suffering from in North America, particularly in the United States. We've covered this in the past. The technology sector, technology software, or anything associated with high growth industries like e-commerce have been, have, have gone, were going absolutely bananas for years. Um, valuations were, were up to unreal levels. Um, companies trading at, at upwards of a hundred times sales. You know, we would say a hundred times earnings is extremely expensive. Many of these companies trading a hundred times sales. And now many of these companies down 85, 95% even. So Shopify is one of these names, but, you know, not looking, not focusing on where the company's been in the past. We want to, we want to look at where, where is the company right now? Um, and do we see an opportunity in the future? And for us, we, we don't really see an opportunity right now for Shopify. Doesn't mean that it can't recover to an extent over time. Um, that really just depends on what happens with the markets, what happens with investor sentiment around uh, higher risk or higher growth technology companies. But let's take a look at, at what the numbers are telling us right now. So the, the question identified that, uh, that strong revenue growth has continued for Shopify and it's down 75%. So does that not signify that there's that there's some value in the stock? Well, that is true. Strong revenue growth has continued. So the company recently reported its Q3 2020, 2022 financial results. Revenue was up about 22% for the quarter. Now, 22%, that is a very strong, very legitimate growth rate. However, uh, for Shopify, this is actually the second lowest growth rate that the company has reported in its history as a public company. And the growth rates for Shopify on a quarterly basis compared to the quarter of the previous year have been trending down. So that is a that's something that we that we would look at with some caution. Um, trending down right now, as I said, 22% uh, growth in the last quarter. Um, but if we look at what the growth was uh, a year before um, in the third quarter of 2021, the quarterly growth rate was 96%. Uh, in the year before that, it was 45%. So for most of the companies, most of the company's history as a public, as a public stock, it's been around that that 40 to 50% growth rate. So now it's come down. Now it's come down quite a bit. Um, now we would expect this. We would expect that a company will start to mature. It, it, it achieves these fantastic growth rates at some points, you know, 100% revenue growth. That's not sustainable. So we would, we would expect it to come down and mature. Um, the problem that I'm seeing here with Shopify is yes, the growth rate has come down in revenue, but they're they're continuing to lose a lot of money. They're they're not anywhere close to profitability. So what we would want to see from a company, I mean, if if a company is is producing an incredible high double digit, low triple digit growth rate, and they're investing so much of their money back into the business um, so that they can continue to grow, we understand that. And, and oftentimes this is going to result in the company reporting net losses. But now clearly the company looks like it's producing a more mature growth rate. So we would want to see signs that margins are improving, that the company is achieving profitability or in profitability and in the stage where they're actually growing their net profit and their, and their cash flow. That is not the case with Shopify. In fact, relative to the previous year, um, they are losing more money now than they were in the past. Just pulling up like the nine month figures, um, adjusted operating income, and this is adjusted as well for the nine months of 2022, negative 633 million, um, burning through almost 400 million in cash flow for the first nine months of the year, burning through over 200 million in cash flow for the quarter, for the third quarter. So 
this isn't we want to see once that once that revenue growth rate trends down we want to see those margins start to trend up and that's not what's happening here in fact what's happening is the exact opposite so from just a purely financial perspective in terms of does this pass our financial tasks of growth and profitability it, it's far from now i've looked at some analyst estimates for for next year uh, and you know don't quote me on this because Analyst estimates change frequently, but the consensus that I saw was about about four or five cents per share next year in earnings. Um, in earnings per share, uh, that's that's in U.S. dollars. Now, the company trades at fifty dollars. So, if we were to look at this on a price to earnings basis, we could see that that it is still an absolutely insane valuation relative to earnings. We really don't have any earnings though. So, what does it look like relative to sales? So the price to sales ratio has come down a lot as we would expect since the stock is down about 75%. Right now, as of Q3, relative to sales, the company's trading at a price to sales ratio of about nine times. So that's better. That's certainly far more reasonable than it where we've seen it in its past, um, peaking at, at you know the, the high 40s to low 50s, an incredibly high price to sales valuation. And obviously at that time, the market analysts, investors who are buying the stock we're looking at those high 50 to 100% revenue growth rates and extrapolating that going forward, which you really can't do. So now we're, we're, we're at what I would consider to be a more reasonable price to sales multiple, but really not that cheap. So nine times sales, you know, you're still looking more expensive than a company like Microsoft, still more expensive than a company like Google. Um, it's been compared to Amazon a lot, the business has far more expensive on a price to sales multiple than Amazon, really just coming down to a price to sales level that we would consider maybe average for most software companies over an extended period of time, but by no means cheap. And you still have that issue of lack of profitability and a really high cash burn. So I say this company still has a lot to prove. I would not be buying it right now. Now, that does not mean that they can't turn the business around over the next couple of years. I understand it's a very interesting technology uh, very interesting platform, but I want to see evidence that they're actually able to operate at something near profitability. Because if that revenue growth rate continues to decline and they can't transition into profit, I don't think then we've seen the end of the the, the share price decline. So we would uh, we would we would we would step back. We would just be on the sidelines on this company. I just think that there are far better stocks in the in the technology space, in the SaaS, and in the software space to buy right now that represent far better value and are actually producing profitability and cash flow. So you don't have that concern. So we're not buyers of Shopify. Yeah. I think with a revenue growth rate of 20 to 25%, um, I don't, I, we're not going to pay a hundred times next year's optimistic estimate for earnings. You know, that's just, yeah. it's still, it's down 75, it's down 85% in that range. You know, and we keep hearing from clients. I heard this at a speech I gave in Toronto. Well, it must be cheap now. Well, Aaron just went through the numbers. Even on a price to sales basis, it might be just at an average multiple to the sector. And many of those companies with the price to sales in that range are actually cash flow positive. And, you know, earnings not positive, and this company is not earnings positive right now. So, and they're spending a ton to, for, for in terms of fulfillment over the course of this year. To kind of catch up and be aligned with Amazon, um, you know, Amazon certainly has more resources to spend more than them in this sector too. So, yeah. All right, let's get to our. Or is there anything high. else? 
I was just going to say, even when it was trading at its high flyer, you know, prices, the amount of times that I heard, you know, you, Ryan and Aaron say this stock is priced to or above perfection. Once you see, or if you see that growth rate pull back, the stock can get decimated. That's, you know, a similar story that you guys have seen in your career. Yeah. And it's, it's been absolutely decimated. And the thing is it's been absolutely decimated and we still don't think it offers anything close to reasonable price based on current underlying fundamentals. Yep. So let's look uh, our star and dog of the week. Brennan, you've got two kind of unique companies yeah. there. Yeah, I think you want to do the star off, or the dog first. I think I'm going to start off with the dog first just because I think oh, everyone can a- ending on a positive note. And I'm going to end on a positive note. So the dog of the week is BitFarms Limited, uh, B-I-T-F on the TSX. Uh, the stock is down about 7% in the last week, 41% in the last month, and over 91% in the last year, where it's currently trading at about 80 uh, cents and has a market cap of about $180 million. So BitFarms is a global Bitcoin self-mining company running vertically integrated mining operations with on-site technical repair, proprietary data analytics, and company-owned electrical engineering and installation services. So driving the decline is primarily the fallout in crypto companies such as FTX and more recently BlockFi, uh, the troubled crypto firm which filed for bankruptcy in the US this week. BlockFi had already halted most activity on its platform, citing significant exposure to FTX and recently said it was seeking court protection to restructure, settle its debts and recover money for investors. Plus, on November 14th, Uh, BitFarms posted dismal financial results with revenue down 26%, a gross loss of $3.9 million, and reported a net loss of $84 million, or about $0.40 per share. But this was primarily due to a large impairment at their Argentina facility. So we actually included BitFarms as a monitor in one of our larger reports completed in early 2022. And in that report, we said, Similar to a company that mines gold or has commodity exposure, BitFarms' revenue and profitability is fundamentally tied to the price of Bitcoin. Therefore, if Bitcoin performs well, BitFarms' stock will also likely perform well. The opposite is also true, as if Bitcoin performs poorly, BitFarms' stock will also perform poorly. Thus, with Bitcoin being down 66% year-to-date and BitFarms' stock coincidingly performing poorly with Bitcoin, it has claimed our not so coveted status of dog of the week and sentiment in that space is just not very good right now. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that quote sums it up, right? Like yep. if, if, if Bitcoin performs well, the company performs well. Um, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's what you've seen exactly happen with the stock. Um, if sentiment improves, this company can probably perform better, but you know, you're just guessing on sentiment and you're guessing on what, what, you know, Bitcoin or the crypto market's going to do. And if you get it right, you'll be right on this. If you get it wrong, you'll be dead wrong and you'll yep. lose. And I think also the recent a- events have shown you're just, you're guessing on everything. I mean, people don't know. Yep. A lot of these businesses are unregulated. People don't know the risks. Mm-hmm. You even have, you even have well-respected uh, institutional investors that are getting burnt completely. I think it's just a situation I've always said in the past, like I'm not saying that cryptocurrency is not a technology of the future, but I just felt that it was just purely speculative as as an investment. And anybody who wants to put money into into crypto or crypto related company, 
if you want to do it, do it, but consider it a roulette table because you don't know what's mm -hmm. what's going on behind the scenes or under the hood. You know, limit yourself to what you would limit to, you know, gambling in Vegas. And maybe that's not good advice for some people. So I'll just be more specific, like, you know, maybe one, two percent of your portfolio for speculative things like that. Um, yep. But but no more. Awesome. So I will move all along to the star of the week which is StarX International, STX on the CSE or Canadian Securities Exchange. So the stock gained approximately 21% in the week and is up about 61% in the last month, where it now trades at about $1.95 and has a market cap of about $31 million. So it's definitely, you know, a micro cap. Uh, so StarX is a national provider of real estate appraisal and credit reporting services to mortgage lenders and brokers in the United States. It had essentially two segments, including its MFI credit solutions, which offered full service credit reporting agency with resources from all three national credit agencies, including TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, as well as it had it's property interlink and reliable valuation, uh, which is a full service appraisal management company for mortgage financing. However, driving the share price gains is the recent announcement on November 8th that the business closed the transaction selling its real estate appraisal management business, which are those last two that I just noted there, the property interlink and reliable valuation service. Uh, so the net proceeds from the sale of the business after tax and all expenses, including retention and change of control payments, are estimated to be about uh, $6.2 million US. So they've sold those that division off. They're going to get the $6.2 million. But if we look at the first six months of the year, those two subsidiaries that they just recently sold, the property interlink and reliable valuation, consisted of approximately 75% of total revenue. But this segment did have slim to negative margins, while its MFI credit solution segment was generating net income mar margins of about 3.3% in the first six months uh, of the year. So not substantial, but at least that side of the business was profitable. Now, the CEO did come out and say, we are extremely pleased to have closed this transaction and appreciate the trust our shareholders have placed in the management team to allow us to proceed with the transaction. We look forward to reporting on our efforts as we redeploy our capital in securing new opportunities in the real estate title industry and building additional value for the company and our shareholders. So following the transaction, uh, the company should have about $8 million US uh, in cash to deploy and no debt, but its operations are changing significantly with the largest part of its business no longer there. But the market seems to be excited about the company's new direction, but essentially we'll have to wait and see what the company purchases. Uh, like management said, we're really, or shareholders are really placing the trust in management to execute on something that is potentially accretive. And lastly, I just want to note that the company is very, very thinly traded, uh, so it will likely remain volatile. But, you know, the sale and the market getting excited has made it our star of the week. Yeah, I would say um, the company, like based on the cash balances there and the existing business, um, you know, it's 
the market got a little bit overexcited, to yeah. be honest. I would say, I mean, because uh, you know, it's what you said—the cash balance would be six, eight million or something. Uh, like about US eight million maybe. U.S. Yes, eight million. Well, the market cap, I think, is thirty something million. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, thirty-three, and the operating business that's left, it is profitable, but small, is it it's not? Very small. Yeah, I believe that yeah, it's so only like two million revenue or something. I would say that, that uh, the market has got a little bit excited. I think it may have something to do with the average volume volume over the last yep. three months is like under 600 shares. Yeah. So and that's why I think I that just sure if, that. if three people wanted to buy the stock, it might go up 20% <laughs> yes. tomorrow. Right. So I think that's part of the, the what's had the share price go up. But yeah, it's an interesting, yep. uh, interesting sale. And we kept the market up to date on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's close off the show this week. I'd like to thank everybody for um, contributing your questions to our Eurostock Our Take segments. Keep those coming in. Smash the subscribe button on YouTube if you're there. And uh, if you want to listen to us on the podcast, rate and review us on iTunes. And as always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.